Lord Jesus, thank you uh, that uh, you are so good. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to see your goodness, that you would help us to preach right now. Lord, whatever is not of you, just help us forget that. But Lord, whatever is of you, burn it into our hearts, Lord Jesus, uh, for you are good and uh, you are trustworthy. And Father, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. By the age of 23, Alexander the Great had conquered most of the civilized world. In the spring of 331 BC, he set off to the east towards India with his army. Everything went relatively smoothly until they got to a region of Bactria, which I believe is in modern-day Afghanistan, and a well-fortified city. At that point, Alexander sent two-thirds of his troops on towards India under the direction of General Ptolemy and General uh, Perdiccas, and he retained one-third of the troops with him, along with uh, 100 of his choice soldiers, his elite guard. Having done that, uh, one morning with his soldiers, he walked up to the edge of this walled city in Bactria, and he yelled out at the city wall demanding to see the king. The king of that city-state appeared on the city wall, and Alexander said to him, my name is Alexander. Surrender immediately. The king looked over the city wall and just began to laugh. He said, why should I surrender to you? We've heard of you, Alexander. We're prepared for you, Alexander. We outnumber you, Alexander. Why should I surrender to you? And at that, Alexander gave a command. His 100 elite guard lined up in a straight line in front of the city, and then Alexander yelled, march. They began marching toward a cliff at the edge of the city wall, and the first man kept marching. He marched right off the edge of the cliff, falling hundreds of feet to the rocks below where he died upon impact. And then the second man, and then the third man, the king on the wall just watched in amazement, the fourth man, the fifth man, until finally Alexander gave the command, stop. And at that, the 11th man stopped on the edge of the cliff. Alexander looked up at the king on the wall, and the king immediately surrendered. <laughs> the power of obedience. And Alexander conquered the civilized world. Awesome obedience. I have read or heard that story in a number of different places. And one book, which is a pastor's book of illustrations that I have, it's titled Awesome Obedience. And then they ponder this question, what if, what if, what if the followers of Christ were as obedient as the followers of Alexander? What if? You know, Jesus did say, if you want to follow me, you must pick up a cross and follow. Wow. I think I'd rather jump off a cliff, you know? Awesome obedience awesome results. You've heard this story, I imagine, at least some of you, if you've been around a while. Steve, I'm sure you heard this story in youth groups and things in the past. I remember in college, this story got told all the time about a Bible study long ago. And the leader of the Bible said some, something like this, this world has yet to see what God could do through one man fully surrendered to the cause of Christ. And another man said, by God's grace, I will be that man. 
And if I remember correctly, that man was William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. Awesome obedience, incredible results, and the kingdom of our Lord advanced. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom in our families, in our homes, in our businesses, our schools, in our world. We have been appointed to go forth and bear fruit. Like Peter, we have been called to become fishers of men. John chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, also called the Sea of Galilee. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. That's seven disciples. That's significant. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. I heard a famous preacher preach on this passage years ago in the early 80s. It so impressed me that then I would preach this message to my young life kids and the kids in the youth group. The thing that impressed me so was the awesome obedience and the incredible results. I mean, just think how tragic it would have been if the disciples had not obeyed and thus had no fish and thus had no breakfast of Easter joy on the beach with Jesus. And so do you obey? Do you hear and obey? Cast it on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You know, they've been fishing all night long and they'd, they'd caught nothing. Peter was a, a professional fisherman. And this person was calling from 100 yards out. I mean, that's a long way. They, in, in Galilee, they use, sometimes they call, they say, from the, but, but 100 yards, that's, that's too far. That's a long way. Other side of the boat, that's stupid. That, that's absurd. Wait till you're married to have sex. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Give to him who begs from you. Pick up a cross and follow me. Throw the net on the other side of the boat. That's absurd. But they cast it. Do you cast it? Do you obey? They didn't argue. They didn't debate. They didn't ask for an explanation. They immediately and fully obeyed the resurrected Christ. And look what happened. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And to these disciples, fish were not just sport. They were literally life. I mean, maybe you feel like your life isn't working. Maybe you feel like you aren't catching any fish. So ask yourself, where's my net? Am I obedient? If you want fish, have you cast the net where Jesus tells you to cast it? If you want a good marriage, are you looking at porn? If you want honest children, are you telling white lies? If you want converts, do you preach the gospel? If you want to bear fruit, bride of Christ, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do, bride of Christ? 
Throughout the Old Testament, you know, it's God's message to Israel over and over and over again. Obey and you will occupy the land and be blessed. Disobey and you will be exiled and cast out. If you want fish, cast your net where Jesus tells you to cast it. Well, well the fish here represent um, the disciples' life and their livelihood, but more than that, they represent the lives of others. Remember that Jesus had told Peter, Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. And it was then when Peter first, Peter first heard that on the Sea of Tiberias, when he first met Jesus, when Jesus first told Peter, put out to the deep and let down your nets, Peter did out of respect for Jesus and the catch, the catch was so huge, so large that the nets tore and the boats actually began to sink from the weight of all the fish, just the weight. And when Peter saw that, those amazing results, he fell on his knees and he begged Jesus to leave. Crying, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Not obedient man, a disobedient man, a sin full man. Well, that's kind of weird, huh? I mean, incredible results. And Peter cries, please leave. I mean, he's just about to receive the full gospel fishing trophy, for goodness sake. He's just about to be clothed in glory. And he begs Jesus to leave? Whatever. Well, whatever. My point is, awesome obedience, awesome results. Several years ago, I was in California doing a wedding for two of my old youth group kids, Chris and Kelly. Chris was actually going to seminary. At the pre-wedding barbecue, one of my old small group Bible study kids, Brian, he came up and, and he grabbed me. I'd been wondering about Brian, how he'd been doing. Years before, he had been in one of my small group Bible study things. I remember this one meeting. Out of the blue, Brian just said, hey, do you guys ever think about killing yourself? I prayed immediately, and, and we had an incredible discussion. But at the barbecue, he pulled me aside and, and he said, I've been praying that I'd have a chance to find you, to tell you, Peter, what an impact you had upon my life. Your talks, they just hit me. God used you in my life. I just got back from a mission trip to Southeast Asia. I mean, it was, it was incredible. It was, it was affirming. It was wonderful. And just think, times when I felt exhausted and spent, but offered just a little obedience and fish, fish, fish. Fish, instead of a suicide, a missionary. Another example. The very same week, right after I returned from California, I called another kid from my youth group, Billy Baldridge. You can't see him very well, but that's an old youth group picture, the only one I, I, I had, but Bill's standing down there between the, the van doors on, on a retreat somewhere. Bill was that kid in my youth group that I invested in more than any other. He'd confessed Jesus watching TV and then he came to youth group looking for, for some answers. His dad was an alcoholic who caused Bill a great deal of pain but Bill found solace and he found Jesus in our fellowship and Bill really changed our fellowship. His hunger for God was contagious, his, his mind was brilliant he was the life of the party. He was planning to go into the ministry. In many ways, he was like my best friend at the time in Los Angeles. And one day he told me, Peter, God used you to change my life. He was the poster child for Peter Hyatt Ministries. 
Whenever I felt like a failure, I thought of Billy Baldridge and just the thought of Billy like covered my insecure and naked heart like a, a warm robe. Like I was saying, I, I called Bill. Hadn't talked to Bill for a long time, but for a long time I'd been thinking I needed to call him because I, I knew Bill had been struggling with his faith and I, and I hadn't called. For eight or nine months I was thinking I, I need to call Billy. I, I really ought to call. Well, finally that Tuesday, about 15 years ago now, I called Bill. When no one answered, I called Wade, who was Bill's friend and also a kid in the youth group. And uh, when I called Wade's house, I got Wade's dad. And so I started talking to Wade's dad for a while about various things. And he said, well, I guess you heard about Bill. And I said, no, I, I, did, I didn't hear about Bill. What about Bill? And he said, oh, oh, Peter, I'm sorry. I thought Wade and the other guys had got a hold of you. They were trying. You must have been gone or something. I said, well, what about Bill? And he said, well, Peter, a few weeks ago, as we can tell, Bill went for a walk over at UCLA where he was a student. He went to this garden courtyard, and he sat down on a bench, he pulled out a brown paper bag, reached in the bag, pulled out a handgun and shot himself in the heart and died on the spot. And immediately a little voice went off in my head. Peter, you failed. Peter, you were disobedient. Peter, you didn't cast the net. And now the fish is gone forever gone. I just wanted to get drunk. <laughs> Fortunately, I, I called Susan as quick as I could and I said, honey, you just got to pray for me. You got to pray to Jesus for me right now. I, I, I couldn't handle the weight. I just couldn't handle the weight. I mean, what if, what if, what if I'd called well, that was bad enough, but to make matters even worse, we were preaching through John 15 years ago up at Lookout Mountain Community Church, and I was scheduled to preach on John chapter 21 that week. Awesome obedience and awesome results, and the very thought of it just terrorized me until I read it. I read it well, and then it set me free. It's still setting me free. I began to think about Peter that night floating out on that restless sea. Three years earlier, Jesus told Peter that he would make him a fisher of men, pulling life up from the darkness, the abyss that was the sea. It was Peter who first declared, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And it was to Peter that Jesus said, you are rock, uh, Petros, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter was being groomed to shepherd the Lord's church. You know, when Peter felt insecure, I bet he just thought about those things and just the thought of those things covered his naked and insecure heart like a warm robe. Just a few days before, Peter had promised Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. I will follow you. Peter, Jesus, Jesus had said, you, you can't follow now, but he said, I will follow. I will lay down my life for you. Peter knew his obedience would be awesome. And then just a few hours later, you know the story. He denied his master, his Lord, three times. He did not follow. He was utterly disobedient. 
even as Jesus was impaled upon the tree. Well, by now, Peter had seen Jesus risen from the dead at least two times. But as far as we know, Jesus has not addressed Peter personally since that night. So if I'm Peter, I am wrestling with some awful and furious questions. Like, am I still a fisher of men? And oh God, if I am a fisher of men, how the hell am I ever going to bear that burden, that weight? Peter's call had become an open wound, and I bet he heard a voice, and the voice said, Peter, you failed. Peter, you were disobedient. Peter, you ought to just judge yourself. Finish yourself. There's a rope. There's a tree. Well, in his despair, Peter goes fishing. I mean, that's one thing Peter knows how to do, right? He's a professional fisherman. He has the knowledge of good and evil fishing. You know what I mean? He knows how to make fishing work, but nothing, 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 all night long, nothing. While Jesus watches from the beach. You know, the catching of nothing on one side of the boat Think about it. Isn't that really kind of like just as much of a miracle as the catching of everything on the other side of the boat? Isn't Jesus Lord of your, quote, failures? Or is he only Lord of your successes? Isn't Jesus Lord when you think that life is not working? Romans 8, 20, God subjected all creation to futility. That word means not working. Romans eleven thirty two, 32, and he consigned all to disobedience. I mean, maybe nobody's life works, and maybe nobody is, is obedient. Well, all night they catch nothing, and then, and then some guy, now check this out, they don't even know it's Jesus. You read the story again, you realize John points that out. They don't know it's Jesus. It's just some, some guy, some guy yells children. I'm sure they really appreciate that, being called children. Children, you don't have any fish, do you? No, no, we don't have any fish. We'll throw it on the other side. They don't know it's Jesus. But now what have they got to lose? I mean, you see, it's anything but an awesome obedience. It's just like the desperate cast of some humbled fishermen with nothing left to lose. In the past, Peter would have turned around and said, cram it down your pie hole, you moron! But, but not now. Why? Because he's been stripped. Stripped of all his pride. And he's got nothing left to lose. Verse 6. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, beloved disciple, probably John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. He was naked. Why did John have to tell us that? I mean, really. Huh? I saw this bumper sticker on Thursday in the back of a van, and I thought, that's a sign. I'm going to talk about this. Fish, fish naked. Fish naked. Why did John have to tell us he was naked? 25 years ago. 
My wonderful bride wanted to have children, four little fish, if you will. She wanted to bear fruit. Being a new bride, she did all that she could in order to make that happen. I mean, she listened to Christian family radio, how to be a Proverbs 31 woman. And so she rose early and cooked the most delectable meals. And she sewed with, with fabric that she purchased from the fabric store, wonderful garments and covered herself in glory. I mean, beautiful hair, the finest makeup, the most wonderful apparel. She covered herself and still she did not conceive. I am forever grateful to a wise old woman who said to my bride one night as she sat there weeping, she said, dear, I know that this is counterintuitive, but if you want to conceive, you have to be naked. <laughs> Not covered, but uncovered. For you must let your husband touch you in the place that you've hidden, the wound where you feel incomplete. Don't let anyone else touch you there, but he must touch you there to fill you with his life and clothe you with his very self. Well, that didn't really happen. I mean, I'm not talking about my bride, but it did really happen because I'm talking about us. John has reminded us Jesus is the eschatos Adam, and we are his bride. Jesus is God, stripped naked of power and might, hanging on a tree in a garden, forming a covenant and revealing his naked heart so we might trust him and let him touch us in that painful wound, that old wound. Eve, we can't bear fruit by covering ourselves in fig leaves that we pick from those trees. But stripped of all, he clothes us with his righteousness and he fills our faithlessness with his faithfulness. That's how we bear fruit. Fruit that is life, his very life. It's even how we catch fish. You know, people think that God can't use them because they've failed, because they've been stripped of all their accomplishments. People think God can't use them because they're a failure. Maybe it's just the opposite. God won't really use you until you see that you are. Ironically, I preached this text about six years ago at the General Assembly of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. It was a big deal. I was a big deal. But in two years, I'd lost my ordination, my church, my accomplishments, a bunch of fish, and a whole lot of pride. September 28, 2008, my wife heard the Lord say this. She wrote it down on a piece of paper immediately, and uh, I have it framed sitting behind my desk in the office. It, 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 I'll read part of it to you, okay? She heard the Lord say this. Peter, you are my heart. Now that you know who you are, I'm calling you to walk in freedom, to free people, to be who you are supposed to be. Totally stripped of all, God has been allowed to clothe you. Well, Peter was stripped. Stripped of all. Remember the first time that Peter caught all those miracle fish, he focused on the fish. And then he focused on himself. And he begged Christ to leave. 
Why? Because of his pride. If I think those incredible results are dependent on me, I can't handle the weight. Whether it's failure or success, whether it's shame or arrogance, I I can't handle the weight. Peter couldn't handle the weight of a fish, of, of glory. His nets tore, his boat began to sink. Peter couldn't handle the weight. But now, after his failure and Christ's gracious success, after Easter, Peter forgets the fish. He forgets results. He forgets his obedience or his disobedience. He forgets himself. He forgets his pride. He puts on some clothes, thank God, and he dives into the sea and he swims 100-yard freestyle away from all the fish. He swims away from all the fish and straight to Jesus. He wants Jesus. Brennan Manning writes this. Suppose for a moment that in a flash of insight you discovered that all your motives for ministry were essentially egocentric. Or suppose that last night you got drunk and committed adultery. Or suppose that you failed to respond to a cry for help and the person committed suicide. What would you do? Would guilt, self-condemnation, and self-hatred consume you? Or would you jump into the water and swim 100 yards at breakneck speed toward Jesus? Verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off. When they had gone on shore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Do you get that? Jesus already has fish on the barbecue with a side dish. He doesn't need the disciples' fish. In fact, it's like in the Gospels, you know, it's like Jesus just have fish coming out of his ears wherever he goes. Busloads of fish seem to not be a problem for God. Busloads of fish are not fish. It doesn't seem to be the issue with Jesus. Fish aren't the issue. Do you realize that you serve a sovereign, all-powerful God that created and sustains the entire universe with just a word? Just a word. He can make rocks and stones sing his praises. He can make donkeys prophesy. For him, making you a millionaire is just as easy as not making you millionaire. He's the one that turns the hearts of men toward himself. He's the one that breathes life into people dead in their trespasses and sins. He's the one that controls the results, the successes, and the failures in your life. And so the results must not be the issue here. I mean, the kingdom of God will come regardless of you and your bad choices. If they hadn't cast the net, they'd still have fish on the barbecue. Jesus doesn't need your fish. But listen to the next verse. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, guys, bring some of those fish you just caught. That you caught. I mean, if this whole deal's a fishing competition, I get kind of pissed at this point. Jesus, they didn't catch those fish. You made them swim into their nets. Yeah. They didn't catch them. You made him swim into the nets. Maybe he always does. Or did you think that you could save somebody's eternal soul? 
or even your own soul. Now that would be pride. A very dark and very heavy cloak. You know, when my kids were little, I'd take them fishing. I'd bring the gear. I paid for the gear. I'd bait the hook. I'd walk along the stream and, and I'd spot a trout in some hole. And then I'd take the line and I'd drop it right in front of that trout until the trout uh, took the bait and then I'd set the hook and then I'd immediately hand it to one of my kids and say, reel them in, reel them in. And, and then we'd go home and they'd run into the house and they'd go, mommy, 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 look at the fish that I caught. And I'd say, yep, look at the fish that Becky caught, Elizabeth caught, that John caught, that, that Coleman caught. Jesus said, come on, guys. Bring some of the fish you caught. And they knew. My kids knew. They caught those fish by grace. 100% Father's grace. You know, if one of my kids dropped the pole in, in, in a moment of panic, which happened every now and then, and, and the fish got away, I didn't make them pay for the gas and buy me a new fish at Safeway on the way home. Verse 11. So Simon Peter went ashore and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, imagine how Peter's heart jumped when Jesus turned toward him. Would he say, Peter, you've proven to be untrustworthy, and now John will lead? Would he say, Peter, I am so disappointed in you. I, I, never would have I never would have guessed. I never would have thought that you'd do this. Would he say, Peter, um, let's, let's review what happened. Let's go back and review it so it does not happen again. Peter, have you developed a plan of action? Would you tell me the steps in that plan of action so this sort of thing will never happen again? Peter, have you determined to call people whenever you get a notion? Or Peter, did you realize that Satan gave you that notion to fill you with shame? Or Peter, have you admitted to yourself that you kind of didn't want to call when you should have called and then you called when you really shouldn't have called because you were calling out of shame and fear? Uh, uh, Peter, 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 so many things he could have said. And Peter had so many questions. What about this? What about that? So many questions. And there was so much Jesus could have said on the edge of the sea, by the fire, at the border of time and eternity. So much. But he turned and he asked only one question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? That's it. That's the question. That's the issue. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then he expanded. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than 153 miracle fish? 
More than what I'll do through you, Peter, or not do through you. More than 3,000 converts in one day when the Holy Spirit falls upon you and 5,000 converts the next day. Peter, do you love me more than your pride? More than your pride, Peter, for you're still going to blow it. In fact, a guy named Paul is going to rebuke you in Antioch. And we're going to get the whole thing recorded in the Bible, the world's number one best-selling book, Galatians chapter 2. Peter, when that happens, will you still swim to me? Do you love me? more than your pride. Peter, when you're stripped of all and feel naked as a jaybird, will you sing my song? Will you preach my word just because you love me? Do you love me more than these? Fish, fruit, success, respect. You know, if my children came to love fish, more than the father who took them fishing, they'd be miserable. And I probably wouldn't take them fishing anymore. <laughs> if you're not content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamity, nakedness, the sore for the sake of Christ, maybe you don't love him more than these. But have courage. You will. He'll see to it. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. I like that. Maybe Peter was just exhausted with even judging himself. You, you know everything, Lord. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times for three denials, three times if you love me. Then obey, tend, feed. I think that means Peter fish, not because you'll catch fish. I control the fish. Fish, Peter, because you love me and I ask you to. Peter, preach, not because your church may grow. Uh, preach, Peter, because you love me and I ask you to, and thus you want to. Christian, obey, not because you want a good marriage, not because you want your kids to respect you, and not because you want a strong society or a great business, and certainly not to clothe yourself in arrogance and self-righteous deeds. Obey me because you love me. And don't you know, it's the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, my Father. He he controls the fish. It's all grace. Remember, you're the new Israel. You live in the eternal covenant of grace where good things are not earned by your awesome obedience. Good things have already been earned by the awesome obedience of one man, fully surrendered to God. Jesus is the soldier who laid down his life and won the kingdom, and the world is now seeing what God has already done through that one man, Jesus the Christ, our Lord. He's done everything through him. Now, it's true that in space and time, according to his plan, God works through people. Christ works through his body. 
But it's rather a strange statement. The world has yet to see what God could do through one man fully surrendered to Christ. I mean, God can do anything through whomever he chooses. And God chooses what is weak in this world to shame the wise. Just look at what he did through one faulty, insecure, weak, naked fisherman whom he chose to fill with his spirit. Look what he did. He caught you. On this Petros, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Awesome results from the awesome obedience of one man. The eschatos, Adam, Jesus the Christ. Well, I don't know what was going through Billy Baldridge's head 15 years ago when he pulled the gun out of the bag and shot himself in the heart. And I don't know if I should have given him a call. I don't know if God changed Bill's life forever through me. If he did, Bill told me how it happened. I remember when he said, Peter, you changed my life. I remember hoping in that instant that he'd recite some awesome obedience. You know, something to pad my resume, something to cover my naked, insecure ego, a, a great talk I'd given, or some sacrificial good deed. I'd hope he'd recite that, but, but he didn't. He told me about a moment in Mexico on a, on a mission trip building a house somewhere near Tijuana. He, he was pounding a nail, and he said, Peter, I, I bent the nail, and I, and I started to cover the nail. I couldn't get it to go straight, and I was hoping that you wouldn't see, but you saw. And he said, at that moment, I fully expected you to come over me and, and, and ridicule me in front of everybody else, uh, slap me, hit me, ridicule me, just like my father had always done. But Peter, instead, you came over and, and you saw it and you kind of like laughed about it, made a joke about it, showed me how to straighten the nail and then we like pounded it in together and he said it was at that moment that I first came to believe there was a God who loved me. Now I hope you see, that was no awesome obedience on my part. It was more like the desperate cast of an insecure youth pastor trying to keep a kid in his youth group and, and maybe a little love, love. But that's not to my credit. That did not come from me. Love is of God. I'm not even sure I remember it. I mean, it's kind of like the sheep on Judgment Day, remember? They uh, say to Jesus on the throne, when did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When were you sick and, and we visited you? I mean, gosh, that's hardly an awesome obedience. Right. Maybe to Jesus it's an awesome obedience because it's love. And when I get to heaven and, and meet Jesus... Perhaps Billy Baldridge will walk up. I mean, he did confess Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and Jesus did say he'd make all things new. I mean, maybe Billy Baldridge will walk up. And it would not be atypical for Jesus to turn to me and say, hey, Peter, look, it's, it's one of your fish. One of the fish you caught. 
And at that moment, I would know. Heaven would know. All the angels would know. Billy would know. It was 100% grace. And so I love Jesus. Sometimes I think I actually want to obey him. Just because I love him. Fish or not. Verse 18, let's, let's wrap it up. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you. Peter was naked, but he will be dressed in glory. You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. You see, unlike Alexander the Great, Jesus goes first. He stretches out his hands. They dress him with a crossbar. And then he's exalted in glory. In 64 AD, persecution broke out in Rome. According to church history, uh, uh, the early church begged Peter to flee the city, to flee the persecution, and Peter took their advice. But as he was leaving the city, at the city gates, he had a vision of Jesus. Jesus was walking into the city the other direction, and according to the legend, Peter fell at the feet of Jesus on his knees, and he said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, I'm going to Rome to be crucified again. And at that, Peter turned around, and he ran back into Rome where he was crucified with Jesus. But you know, for Peter, I bet that wasn't an awesome obedience. It was just swimming to Jesus. And check this out. Did you know that Peter right now is clothed with an immeasurable weight of glory? That's what Paul says. We'll be clothed with an immeasurable weight of glory beyond all comparison. You will be too, an immeasurable weight of glory. And check this out, it won't crush you because you'll know it's grace, 100% grace. It's the awesome obedience of Christ. And so on that night, he took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. This is the awesome obedience. <laughs> and he's giving it to you. Close your eyes for a minute. Maybe you can picture yourself in this situation. I mean, I think in Scripture we're supposed to put ourselves in these stories. 
Well, it's been a, a really long and painful, difficult night. And now you're sitting on the beach. Jesus is there. He's cooking your breakfast. The sun's rising. You look at his hands, they're, they're the wounds. He's cooking your breakfast and, and he turns to you and he, he says your name. He says, do you understand that I am giving all things to you? And even my heart. Now, do you see my heart? You see, that's the awesome obedience, the judgment of God, the grace of God, the love of God. And now I think he has one question for you. Do you love me? At any moment, in any situation, that's the question. Do you love me? Come to the table, tear off a piece of the bread. The dark cups are wine, the light cups are juice. And as you come, answer his question. And so you're on the beach. You're sitting next to him. He just served you a meal. Gave you a cup that is his life. Gave you bread that is his very body. And he asks you the one question. Do you love me? And you answer it. It's not perfect. You're still learning, you're still growing, but there was a mustard seed of faith, wasn't there? And do you understand that if you love, you fulfill the whole law? He says, do you love me? You answer. And now listen. Because you might say something like, well, if, if you love me, then... And then he'll say something. What does he say to you? Maybe it's give her a call. Forgive your dad. Go to China and preach the gospel. You see, it's John that tells us we love because he first loved us. You might say, well, then go back out on the sea and drop your nets. You see, that's what the church is. It's a boat floating on the sea, and the sea is a picture of Hades and Sheol and death and chaos and to home. And we drop our, uh, drop our nets down into the water and um, catch fish, life for the kingdom. 
And it's hard, it's difficult, sometimes it's easy, sometimes the fish come easy, sometimes it's really hard, sometimes life is difficult. So out there, while you're fishing on, on the sea, um, at times you, you may get frightened. And, and when you get frightened, you'll start thinking about the results and you'll start thinking about your, yourself and you'll think, well, I don't really want to do this, I don't like doing this. Um, and and at, those, at, those, at those moments, you might think, and I don't really love them all that much, we'll, we'll go back to the beach. See, I think that's what we do every Sunday. Go, go back to the beach. He, he calls you back to himself. Go back to that fire and sit by that fire on the border of time and eternity and just look at his wounds and receive his meal and let, um, let yourself feast upon his love, then answer his question and, and then obey. And then obey. You see what that beach is? It's judgment. It stands at the boundary of the dark sea and the promised land. And there's a fire at that place, and there's your Lord Jesus at that place who sits upon the throne with wounds in his hands and his side. And one question, do you love me? At any point, that's the question, do you love me? Keep going back to that beach. Keep answering that question. Listen to his voice. Serve him out of love because you love him. And one day you'll go back to that beach and you'll say, son, daughter, it's time to go home to a new Jerusalem, to a new kingdom. But until that day, may you fish in freedom and joy because you believe the good news, the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.